Hello everyone, my guest today is Stevie Bailey. He is a boxing coach here in Ontario, Canada. After receiving his master's degree in Irish language translation, he left his home country, Ireland, at the age of 21 to pursue his dream of becoming the best boxing coach in Canada. Since then, he was quickly recognized by the industry professionals for his skill. Bailey went on to receive the prestigious Ontario's Boxing Coach of the Year Award. Today, Stevie Bailey is a highly reputable coach who has a stable of promising professional boxers, males and females, who fight on the biggest local and international cards. Enjoy the show. Stevie Bailey, how's it going, man? Good, no. Glad to be here. Hey, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is the podcast, as I told you before. I'm really not trying to make it a boxing podcast. Right. It's really a podcast for the common folk. <laughs> so not to complicate anything for everyone in terms of technicalities, but I actually wanted to invite you because you seem like a very interesting guy on your way to success in this boxing industry. And you have already reached certain highs here in Toronto and in Canada. Yep. And I can see you traveling internationally as well. Um, you're a boxing coach. And yep. so I just want to talk to you about your career and about your opinion on certain current events. Yep. So how about we just start from the beginning and tell me about your story. Where are you coming from? And uh, so how I got started. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from a very small village in Ireland, uh, Galway, west of Ireland. Um, eight, nine hundred people. Tiny, tiny village. It is a tiny village. Wow. It's a tiny village. Yeah. Um, very Irish place. Like we speak the Irish language, native tongue. English is my second language, mm -hmm. which very few people know. What's a native tongue? I'm so... So it would be... Um, that's just me saying, hello, how are you? Damn, that's so different. Yeah, that's Stephen is my name. Wow. That's yeah, different. different. You know, I always get mad because no one knows about Kazakhstan, but now I feel like I'm in that <laughs> position where I have no idea about Ireland. And this is Ireland we're talking about. Uh, and uh, I had to have disagreements with people at the gym. They didn't believe me. I had a separate language. Uh -huh. There's no such thing they said. It's English. It's only English. Right. Okay, well... No, they know. I'm embarrassed to know, <laughs> to, to realize that I now I know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, started boxing when I was six or seven with my brother. He had 20 or 30 fights. Mm -hmm. Um, was in the gym for years and years and years and had a lot of amateur fights. And I started helping out at the gym when I was young, not because I wanted to be a coach, just because people kept asking me, like, you know, you're good on the hand pads. Can you hold the hand pads for us? Mm -hmm. And, uh, that led to me helping people win some national titles before I even won some of my own. Mm -hmm. um, always felt like I had an act for coaching but never wanted to be a coach always wanted to be a fighter mm -hmm. uh, had some injuries later in my career and I spent more time coaching more time coaching I was just kept having success and I was really enjoying it I was really enjoying developing people how did you understand that what was the kick out of it like um, just seeing people who were never meant to make it make it mm -hmm. getting a real kick out of that and trying to figure out what suited people the best I was never one to have um you know, I always get asked, what's your style of coaching? I don't think I necessarily have a style. I have a philosophy, which is balance, base, and just getting the best out of that one person. So I have some guys who box on the back foot. I have some guys who box on the front foot. I have some guys who have a tight guard, walk you down. Mm -hmm. I have no particular style in how they're fighting, just the mechanics of them are right. Mm -hmm. So you, you sort of look at the boxer himself or herself first. Yeah. Look at their style. Right. Even and though it's not like they have a style per se, for example, at a certain particular moment, but you can see the potential for certain style to be developed. Exactly. And what their abilities can handle. Mm -hmm. So some guys are really good moving back. Some guys are not very good moving forward. Mm -hmm. So you try and hide their weakness, accent their strength, mm -hmm. quietly develop on their weakness in the background before anyone knows it's a problem. Right. And just continue to work like that. As opposed to me forcing this one style on everybody, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. And that's why I've had success with, I've had girls national champions for 106. I've had guys national champions 210, mm -hmm. 200. So, uh, and, and once again, for the microphone, like it's, it's a very low quality, quality microphone. So the actual hearing thing is right here. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. There you go. I Big can, difference. Yeah. Exactly. I heard that straight away. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to Ireland. Like I'm still here about, you know, young Stevie. Yeah. Um, just always super interested in boxing. Mm -hmm. How's uh, the village? Is everyone there was a fighter? Everyone fought. Not everybody was a boxer. Uh -huh. Everybody fights. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's what Irish do, right? Well, that's what they say. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> it is. They fight. They drink. Uh -huh. And uh, you do, know, you, do you go back there at all? I've been back twice in ten years. Oh wow! Yeah. I'm How come so seldom? I'm busy, and I'm mm -hmm. committed to what I'm doing right now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister came over once, which bought me some time, not having to rush back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and start going back more often now just because I have nieces and nephews who are born. I'm the youngest of eight eight kids. Eight kids in your family? Yes. Yeah, so I want to see my, my, my nieces and nephews more. And not, not, not that I don't want to see my siblings and my parents, but right, right. I, I want to see the kids more, right? Yeah, of course. And you just told me that you're married yourself. So that's why I was like... Yeah. I married myself to a Canadian woman. Nice. And you mentioned that she's also a boxer. Yeah. She is a five-time national champ, four times in Canada and recently in Ireland. So she's now going to go compete for Ireland. That's impressive. Yeah. A yeah. very, very boxing family. Do you want your kid to be a boxer? Whatever my kid wants to be, he can be or she can be. Okay. Um, I'll promote sport. I'll promote school. I'll promote whatever mm-hmm. it is that makes them happy. Mm-hmm. But they have to be trying to accomplish something somewhere, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Sounds like you put in, put in a good thought into it already. I've thought about that a lot. I get asked that question a lot. I yeah. Get, especially because obviously my wife being a boxer. Why, a boxing why do you think it's, uh, people are asking that? I'm, I'm honestly asking because I'm hearing a lot of fathers, you know, um, against their kids to be boxers because they went into boxing for, you know, financial needs and for, for something that they're good at because they didn't have opportunities to go into like more prestigious sports, for example, like mm-hmm. hockey or basketball, where you need more money to, to yeah. invest into it. Yeah, I'm more about you being happy. Because let's be clear, boxing is a very dangerous sport. It's a very dangerous sport with continuous limited reward until you make it to the top. That's another thing. It's so hard to make it to the top just because the top is so narrow. Very narrow. And again, you have to get through so many waves of, of difficulty to get there. And again, mm-hmm. for very limited funds, in my opinion. And, and a lot of times you can be the best boxer and it's still not enough. No, you need a good promoter. You need to have people supporting you. you have, mm-hmm. People have to know you're the best fighter. Mm-hmm. There's lots of fighters out there all over the world who are, who are quality fighters and nobody knows who they are. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you were becoming, transitioning into the coaching thing. And when did you realize you want to do it professionally? Um, I don't think I ever had it in my head. I'm going to do it professionally till I first came to Canada. So mm-hmm. I finished an undergrad at home. I came here for a few months in the summertime. Where did you come here? So I came here 2008 the first time. And and why? So my sister, I went to visit my sister in Ireland. She had been traveling the world for six, seven years. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen too much of her. And I was spending one day a week with her just to get kind of get to know her. Mm-hmm. And her roommate at the time had a brother here in Toronto who was in charge of a soccer school. Mm-hmm. I was telling her I'd like to get away for a few weeks. She goes, I have a brother over there. You can get away. You can work. Mm-hmm. You can travel a bit, make some money. I say, I'll do it. Next thing I was over here. Mm-hmm. And you came to Toronto right away? Uh, that was probably Christmas time. I came here in May once I finished my degree. Mm-hmm. I came here with two friends. We did the soccer school gig mm-hmm. and I checked out some, the boxing scene. Okay. And what did you see? Um, that was 2008. 2008. Okay. What I saw was surprisingly not a lot was happening for the size of the place, mm-hmm. but that the athletic ability here was like second to none. It's like mm-hmm. a melting pot of every breed of possible human you'd want. Mm-hmm. You know, Irish are, are strong people. We're not the most athletic people, mm-hmm. but you had everything here. Mm-hmm. and you're close to the states you're in a good part there's good weather here obviously for six months of the year maybe not right now but um i thought the opportunity here was big and that nobody was really taking advantage of it and how old were you by at that time that time I was 19 wow and you already yeah, sort of did the mar- market scale of everything and saw the opportunities that's pretty cool yeah my father would have made us grow up pretty fast so awesome. when we were young he was very very um disciplined on having common sense mm-hmm. uh, we weren't raised to be kiddish we were raised to be adults mm-hmm. at an early age so we were thinking outside the box at that age interesting okay yeah. and then uh, I went home and I just always had in the back of my head if I wasn't happy with where I ended up at home I'd try and come back here again and give it a few years and see what I could do mm-hmm. so I went home finished a postgrad master's you got a master's degree too wow yeah in language planning yeah that's crazy. Yeah. So this is my point about the. I don't kids. know a lot of. I don't know a lot of boxing coaches who not only have bachelor's degrees but also master's degrees. Yeah, bachelor's, post grad to be a translator. So translate the Irish English language. Wow. Okay. Which is actually a ton of work in. Tons of work in that right now because every document now has to be in Irish. Has to, mm-hmm. you know, if someone pulls you on the street, a cop pulls you on the street, we're entitled to be spoken to in Irish. Yeah. So there's such a need for translators right now. I'm actually giving up. Tons of financial opportunity. Tons, you know? tons of business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, it's, if something goes south, you know where to fall back on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but I just decided that if I wasn't happy there, I'd come back. Not mm-hmm. Maybe happy is the wrong word. Uh, satisfied. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a year and then um, it was around Christmas 2011. I'm just, I called my brother and I asked him for a bit of advice. And mm-hmm. after that, I booked a visa and I came back. And I said I'd give it three or four years. If I couldn't make an impact here in three or four years, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Okay. So I go back. 
That's good. You kind of you you put on a deadline, basically two to three years. You want yeah. to make sure that you yeah. you understand yourself. You want to see if yeah. you actually are able to do it. Yeah. If I had the ability I thought I had, mm-hmm. if I saw the the gap here I thought I saw, then mm-hmm. surely I could make some sort of impact mm-hmm. within three four years, right? Two three mm-hmm. years, and I and I did. And how did it start? Like, I mean, obviously you're just a 19 year old guy or 20 year old or 21. I think I was 21 time. at the time when yeah, I came yeah. in. So yeah. you finish your grad school. You you're 21, still a kid, right? Yeah. Um, how do you start? Uh, I started walking. So we lived on Queen St. Patrick when I came here. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to find the closest gyms to me. Mm-hmm. So I found a boxing studio, walked in, said to the guy just here from Ireland, uh, can I train here a bit? Also, I'm willing to help out training people if, you, mm-hmm. if you're looking for some help. Turned out he was looking for some help. Started helping some guys there. More white-collar fighters. And um, a, f- a professional female came. She checked out. I started doing a bit of work with her. Then I was traveling around looking for sparring with her, mm-hmm. uh, which brought me to Guelph. And then I moved to Kitchener. I was Guelph is a is a town, a university town, right? Here. University town, yeah. yeah. I think just over a hundred thousand people are there. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah nice place. Very nice place. Very mm-hmm. family oriented place. Very safe place. Mm-hmm. Uh, really quiet. Mm-hmm. Perfect place to have a gym out of the way. Quiet part of town. It's not like the yeah. Toronto is a bit crazy. Yeah. Trying to get in out of Toronto is a tackle. Absolutely. Okay, so good location. Yeah, so I ended up uh, talking to the guy who owned the gym in Guelph, and he was looking for help with his amateur program. And I think he just had a lot going on at the time between trying to run a business, he's trying to make money, mm-hmm. he's trying to work with the amateurs, he's trying to, he just had two young kids. So I took over the amateur program there and within a year we got uh, two boxers to win nationals, one boxer was awarded best boxer. Nice, so you're the, showing results, that's great. Yeah, the following year I had three more boxers win nationals and these were people who had never won anything. Mm-hmm. These were not, you know, superstar guys, I was coming in and just, you know, yeah. latching on to an already, these were new. And then I just kept building from there, and we've had close to 30 provincial champions as a senior, mm-hmm. and I've had 12 national champions in my time here, and I've wow. been here eight years. That's great. And and you said that you also, so you achieved what you were trying to achieve within the two to three window period, even overachieved by, by the fact how you performed. Yeah. And then we've talked about this a little bit before during breakfast, is that you also put uh, set up set up a goal for yourself to, do, to, to become more successful within like... Uh, I think you said nine or ten years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and the, the plan I really wanted was that within less than ten years, I would become someone here that people sought to train with. Right. That I would be known for my work, I'd be known for my ability to help fighters evolve, develop, mm-hmm. that uh, fighters would be coming. So for which, example, uh, which you've achieved, and on the background we can see the fighters that you're... Excuse me, that you're working with. So yeah. why why I'm saying that is it's it's pretty cool to see that you know goal setting attitude in action yep. where where you're giving yourself timelines and you want to become something within those timelines who you want to become and yeah and ev- for you. everything was in my opinion a realistic long term goal. I had some mm-hmm. short term things, you know, before that. Uh, if I mm-hmm. hit this little marker, I think I feel like I'll right. get there. But everything was about staying committed and staying disciplined, not mm-hmm. taking your eye off the ball. I never wavered. I've was going to amateur shows every weekend. I was developing my skill set. I'm in the gym every morning at 6 a.m. I'm there till 10 or 11 at night, mm-hmm. putting in tons of hours with fighters, taking a chance on them that they're going to follow through with their commitment on their right. end. They're obviously taking a chance on me that I'm going to I'm going to follow through on my commitment on my end. Mm-hmm. We're taking chances with each other, right? Tell me about your um, setbacks. Obviously, everyone has them, and and I wouldn't be surprised if you had some difficulties as well. But if if you had some, actually, can you tell me about those and how you handled those? Um, I don't think I've had any major setbacks that have really caused me issue. I think a setback at the start was how young I was, mm-hmm. and I think people didn't take you seriously. Yeah, and I know ten years ago there wasn't that many young trainers in the in the world of boxing that were being successful. Things are a little different now. There's lots of trainers all over the world now in their early thirties. Right. Take, take Ben Davidson for example. Ben Davidson. What was it? Two twenty five during Tyson Fury first one, right? Yeah, uh, Shane McGuigan, mm-hmm. Dave Colwell. He's not twenties, but he's just late thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more trainers now who are young. Robert Garcia turned into a trainer. Obviously, he was a very successful professional Comes fighter. Comes from the uh, family as well, though. Yes, you have that background, mm-hmm. but there is young trainers more common now so mm-hmm. i think if i came right now at the age i was 10 years ago mm-hmm. it might not be such a stigma because of my age yeah yeah um, but back then it was uh, it was an issue um an issue might be a stretch i just feel like i would have had more success early with people wanting to come had mm-hmm. i been 40 
Why do you think people are now more okay with the younger trainers? Because they're seeing it over and over again, proven that okay. that, that age is not a factor. Uh, mm-hmm. Understanding of the sport is a factor. Understanding of of what you're capable of doing is a factor. Mm-hmm. Someone's discipline in in staying involved in the sport. Just because you're old doesn't mean you know anything. Mm-hmm. Maybe you haven't taken in any information. Mm-hmm. Right, your ability to retain information is what makes you successful in boxing. Great. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that that was like the only issue that you well not the only but like one of the issues that you had. And other than that, it wasn't anything major. You're just kind of like grinding and yeah, working hard. Just and grinding and working hard, man. I don't think anyone's trying to hold anyone back. I mm-hmm. think uh, I'm very vocal about my issues with the national body at an amateur level, Boxing Canada. Well, tell me more about it. They're just uh, they're not doing anyone any favors here, right? So like mm-hmm. the results are getting worse and worse every year. There's one person in charge of the whole system, and it's just not providing results. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone directly is being targeted to suffer. I just think the whole organization is suffering. Mm-hmm. So uh, why? Because of this one person, or something? Something's happening there? Yeah, one or two. The president is here, and obviously there's a the high performance director. So mm-hmm. and so, what what are the roadblocks? Do you think like what can be done differently to improve the system? It needs to be scrapped. Just, just all together, just throw it out of the window. Everything needs to be stopped here. Everything needs to be stopped. Rebuilt from the ground. From the ground up. Okay. Everything. Anyone involved with what's going on right now, and this might sound controversial, mm-hmm. anyone involved with this organization has to go. And what is the organization again? Boxing Canada. I see. Boxing Canada. And like, you know, all the provinces have their own association and they're all trying to do their best, but mm-hmm. you're still bowed to these people on top. You know what I like about Canada? Is that in Kazakhstan we wouldn't be able to talk about a governmental organization? Yeah, <laughs> and here, and here, I mean, ho- hopefully no one's gonna like smack well, me. <laughs> well, I'll say one thing: I've been very vocal, and I've been one of maybe two or three who have been. Not many people mm-hmm. want to talk about it, mm-hmm. but um, I'm okay with talking about it because I'm going to mm-hmm. continue doing what I'm doing and be successful in my road. And so, boxing Canada—they are because I'm not really familiar with the national level athlete mm-hmm. athletic, athletic programs, but are they also in charge of the Olympic? Uh, Olympic business as well. Yeah, 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 they're in charge of selecting. So, for, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. I have a kid who won the 165 Olympic qualifiers in December. Mm-hmm. So he's waiting for information on when he's going to go to camp mm-hmm. for the qualifiers. Excuse me, in um, in March. Mm-hmm. So he's at the gym Wednesday morning and he's all worried. I hope they give me enough notice because you have to pay for everything here. Mm-hmm. And he works and he's got time off and he's got a lot of responsibilities. Right. So I hope I hope they give me enough heads up. I really hope I get a heads up so I can prepare. Mm-hmm. He gets an email yesterday. You need to arrive on Monday in Quebec, and on Tuesday you need to pay us our twenty five hundred dollars. Otherwise, you can't go. Wow! So you're giving a kid four days notice. Mm-hmm. That's be, ridiculous. That's and twenty five hundred dollars, man. But that's what this organization is. Yeah, I don't think they're targeting the kid. They're just so unorganized. Right. They're so badly run, and everybody's suffering. Right. It's not like I wouldn't say like they're just evil per se it's just no. they're not organized they're not professional yeah. uh in the sense of um they don't care about results oh okay in my opinion they don't care about results they just care about the people in charge just care about what they're doing just bureaucracy and the governmental job just yeah. do, do you think don't yeah. put the bare minimum in and yeah. uh just get by yeah and i hope they hear this i am thrilled if they hear this i hope more people hear it i hope more people keep talking about it mm-hmm. because um nothing's going to change here until everyone is aware of what's happening mm-hmm Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, talk to me about your current career. What are you doing? I know I texted you a couple of days ago. You said you're going to Mexico. Yeah. Uh, was it, was it um, Mexico City, I think, right? Mexico City, yeah. What was yeah. that for? So we brought uh, Lucas' body down to Mexico City. He had his ninth mm-hmm. pro fight in nine months, and he got his ninth KO. Uh, I think he's got less than 10 rounds in nine fights. 11 rounds in nine 100% fights. 100% ratio. Yeah, he's... One of the hardest punching people I've ever held pads for. And mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of boxers over the years. Mm-hmm. The last 16, 17 years I've been working with fighters. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenally hard punching guy. Wow. And, and I've noticed you're working with guys that are on the heavier side. And yeah. is, is that like your personal sort of uh, preference of like where you can make sure you can put your skills to action with like a heavier guys? Or? No, I don't have any crazy preference of who you are. It's more mm-hmm. about the person. It's like mm-hmm. I've met with some people over the years that I've chosen not to work with. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I should say we've chosen not to work together because I felt like it wasn't a good match. Sure. Personality wise. And I feel like that should be fine. Yeah, of course. It shouldn't be anything personal about it. It's like, hey, like, it looks like we're not, you know, compatible. Not, not compatible, exactly. So, yeah. it, and it's, and it's fine because, and talk to me more about it because I don't know, um, this chemistry between a boxing coach and a boxing, uh, and a boxer himself huge. or herself is, huge. it's a huge deal, right? And it's, uh, it's huge. It's, it's based on trust. 
because when that boxer comes back to the corner, if they don't trust what you're telling them is real, mm-hmm. it's it's over. Mm-hmm. If you if they don't trust that you have their best interest at heart, it's mm-hmm. over. If I don't trust that they're taking the sport seriously when they leave the gym, because the easiest thing to do is come to the gym and train. That's the mm-hmm. easy part. Mm-hmm. Anybody can come to the gym for an hour and a half and train. Mm-hmm. It's what you do in the 22 and a half hours before you come back. The discipline. That's the that's the issue, right? And mm-hmm. I need to make sure I can trust that all this time I'm investing in you, especially early in your career where there's really no financial gain. Mm-hmm. It's just us both taking a chance. Right. You know, everyone pays small fees, little gym fees. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like a personal training client that you're paying by the hour. Right. Me with the pro fighters, we're trying to build together. And at the start, you have to really trust them and they have to really trust you. Mm-hmm. And so you, in some fighters, you just can see that, hey, like it looks like it's it's probably... Uh, not gonna happen. So let's just start it right away. Like, is is it is it hard to t- to have that conversation? Yeah, some people are just incoachable either, mm-hmm. and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. And you have so much going on. The last thing you need is to have to try and baby someone all the time, right? There's a difference between not understanding mm-hmm. and you're trying it and you're trying it and you can't get it. That's fine. You can work with someone who's genuinely trying to do what you're telling them and they just can't grasp it, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who just won't take it on board at all. And I've met a few people here like that. I don't even think they knew they had that issue. They just right. weren't the most coachable. So, so just lack of self-awareness as well. Yeah, and that's a big thing, right? Uh, Absolutely. That's something I've been trying to develop for myself in the last 10, 15 years to be mm-hmm. more self-aware mm-hmm. how I'm speaking to someone, mm-hmm. um, if I'm having a negative tone, a positive tone, because all right. these things matter, right? Absolutely. When you're dealing with that fighter in that moment. Yeah, I agree. And and a lot of fight, I mean, fighters in general, as far as my uh, experience uh, talking to fighters, they have strong personalities. And it does sure. not necessarily mean that they're eccentric. It's just uh, every fighter uh, can be opinionated. Yeah. And you need to make sure that you know exactly where the fighter stands, I feel like, in my opinion, to, to, to make sure you just have a good balance between each other. Yeah, and you have to, you have to get to know them. Exactly. You have to really get to know them. And like you said, it's like you understand what makes them tick, what doesn't make them tick. Yes. That would be another asset I think I have. I develop a good relationship with everyone I train. Mm-hmm. And I put a lot of myself into them, no more than what they put into me. And I think that's why it's important that I'm always working with the right type of character as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, a phenomenal athlete or... Yeah, and, and I'm I'm seeing because I I've done some research, you know, on, on you and uh, the quotes that I I've seen from the fighters. They're actually very, they cherish that relationship with you. They 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 consider it like a uh, an opportunity to work with you. So yeah. I feel like you you're developing that reputation, and they already know that hey, like this, um, they're lucky to have you because you're investing your time in them, and you have that ethics as well. So. Yeah, yeah, I think most of the fighters I work with appreciate that. Not, not the, to flatter you too much, but no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm like I'm comfortable saying that. I think that's what most fighters understand when they're with yeah, me. Yeah, I'm 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 hundred percent invested in mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm traveling everywhere. Like I put like a hundred thousand kilometers in my car in the last twelve months from going here there and everywhere for sparring sessions mm-hmm. um i'm very very committed once i'm with you that's mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. We're, we're in that's that's admirable yeah and it's not as um it's not as i don't think it's as common here mm-hmm. i don't think it's as common here to be that way that's I what see. i'm seeing mm-hmm. i can't tell you that for a fact it's just right. this is what i'm noticing right right <sighs> there was like a fight um we watched so there was a Going back to the United Promotions uh, boxing fight, I just want to talk to you about the current events. Yeah, Tyson Fury, Dan Wilder. Yep. Just wanted to get your hot take on that and how did you see the fight? What What is your opinion? Was that Fury got really improved or something was wrong with uh, with uh, with Wilder? Um, I think it's safe to say something might have been wrong with Wilder before the fight. I think. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think the suit caused him the issue. <laughs> that was that was a funny one. That was a, that's just it's. I'm sure he felt it. I know, I know. With the whole suit thing, and yeah, we all made fun of it, and even I like put on a jacket, like the the vest of forty five pounds, just yeah. to feel it, and it was fine. But at the same time, it's 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 like when you are on edge and you are at the biggest fight of your life. Yeah, everything matters. Yeah, and I can totally see something ticked him off about the suit when he was walking out of the ring. And yeah, all of a sudden he did not perform. And now all he's thinking about, like, oh shit, that might be that suit or something happened. Like he, you're looking for that, like what could have gone better, what what gone wrong, and yeah. maybe that's where he was like, well, the suit, you know, if so, 
I don't think for him it was like the biggest sort of a challenge for the suit. No. But the suit, I, I can totally believe him that like, hey, maybe if I was like going out in just a robe or something. He thinks that. Yeah. And he believes that. Yeah. So. But watching him on the warm up in the back with his coach when he's doing pads with uh, Mark mm. Breland, he just looks slow. Mm. He looks very slow, very lethargic. And I find it funny for a guy his size with his physical build, mm-hmm. the weight he put on doesn't make sense. It's It's almost like he didn't train as much as he could have. Mm. For him to train twice a day for over the course of eight to twelve weeks, he shouldn't have put on that much weight. Well, I mean, it was a muscle, though. Yeah, you got it. Obviously, so there was no body body fat there. It's not even, but a guy like that's not going to get fat, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I've got a few fighters, um, a lightweight in particular. He'll gain weight, and he just looks like he's blown up in a good way. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he does it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a gift. You know, genetics, so, yeah. It's just good genetics, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, once I saw that weight, I, I thought something went wrong in camp. Once I saw it warm up, I'm like, something's wrong with him. I didn't think mm-hmm. that was going to result in what we resulted in. So you don't think that, you know, gain of, I don't know, like 20 pounds or whatever was strategic for, for a while? I don't think so. I think it was a mistake. I think mm-hmm. I think maybe something went wrong in camp. I think maybe he had an injury. I know he had a broken hand mm-hmm. prior. Maybe he didn't get to train as much. Mm-hmm. Maybe they focused too much on strength and conditioning and they didn't realize they are putting on that kind of weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- once uh, Wilder took that shot with the which um, apparently burst his um, eardrum, eardrum. That's the excuse he should have used. Yeah, which he hasn't mentioned at all. And that's what I'm, you know, wondering: is that a legit excuse? And how how bad can it get when your eardrum is burst? Oh, your your balance is wrecked. And your, your balance is wrecked. It's, I haven't burst my eardrum, but I've been hit there pretty solid mm-hmm. and it's it's a tough recovery especially when you got a guy who's got 19 stone or 275 pounds coming at you mm-hmm. and you're trying to find your feet mm-hmm. it's not great yeah. um i just think too he's just he's spent his whole career 42 fights whatever it was going forward i don't mm-hmm. think he's used to a guy pushing him back so psychological he's, yeah he's not ready for that not ready for that i also think he was freaked out when he caught tyson with two right hands in the first round and tyson kind of shook it off i think that mm-hmm. wrecked him mm-hmm. I, I think that wrecked him i think that cost his legs more than the suit <laughs> I, I think that panicked him a bit. Yeah, yeah. I I also think Tyson had the perfect game plan. Yeah, let's talk about Tyson. I mean, obviously a lot changed about him, not only the weight-wise, but also the psychologically he went forward, you know, it, was, it takes a lot to do that, you know, just to understand, hey, you don't have to be afraid of this guy. You got knocked down twice and you got up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he learned a lot in the 12th round of the, of the last fight, right? You Absolutely. Just, yeah, when he got up and he pushed him back, you could see in his face, like, oh, wow, this guy can't handle it. Yeah, all of a sudden, you know, after that uh, historic knockdown, he 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 comes up, right? He comes yeah. back on and actually goes forward on on Wilder and realizing, like, hey, like I can actually box him and be aggressive with him, and he can handle it, and he cannot respond to it. Yeah, yeah. And the the gypsies, um, they're not used to them here in Canada or in the U.S. They're special type yeah. of person. Talk to me. All I know about gypsies, especially in regards to like that part of. Uh, the world is is the the snatch movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> with Brad Pitt, there's a lot of it's, a lot of that's pretty accurate. Mm. But these guys are born to fight. As soon as these kids are four or five years old, right, they're, right. they're made to fight. They're fighters. I actually watched that uh, moment right away with with Brad Pitt. Well, not Brad. Right away, I was like, oh, Gypsy's fighting. Uh, let's let's put that moment again where they're like this gigantic guy like fighting Brad Pitt, and all of a sudden he just like one punch, <laughs> one punch from Brad. And it's, it's all. But anyways, yeah. So Gypsies are fighters, huh? They're born fighters. Mm-hmm. And a gypsy, if he had it in his head before that fight that he's going to walk him down, mm-hmm. he was going to walk him down. He mm-hmm. wouldn't care what was going on. Then he had two good coaches in Andy Lee and Sugar Hill who gave him the right tactics. Mm-hmm. He's always going to have that good mindset. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a good recipe. Having those kind of coaches in your camp for eight weeks telling you, you're walking him down, you're pushing him back, you're going to faint him. If he takes a step, you just take a little step back. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how we can now see, you know, Tyson Fury parting with Ben, uh, was actually like a good decision. It was a little controversial at the beginning. It was yep. a little dramatic. I think Ben handles this really well. Ben handled it really well. Um, Tyson actually did an interview that I just recently seen someone sent it to me because I got asked that question, why would he leave Ben? Originally, Tyson wanted Ben in the camp. He just was going to bring Sugar Hill in. Mm-hmm. That was originally Tyson's wish. And Ben made the decision that that wouldn't be good for his career. And Ben made the decision that, and I understand. You know, that. I can see it. Yeah, I can understand why. And that's what Tyson said in the interview. I understand Ben's side of the story. Yeah. Uh, he just said, that won't be good for my career. And plus, honestly, he brought Freddie Roach for the first one, too. I don't know yeah. what the hell he was doing there. I mean, Freddie he, Roach and Ricky Hatton. Right. Ricky Hatton, another coach, former world champion fighter. Right, right. But, um, yeah, I'm, I mean, 
it didn't look good for Ben even then when they were around because Freddie Roach, uh, you know, said some not so nice things about Ben as well about his yeah. style and all that. So it really wasn't helping his uh, his career as a coach as well. Yeah, and if you're always bringing in guys who are number ones to be a number two, you have mm -hmm. to question that there's some lack of faith exactly. deep down. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I'd have no problem if a boxer might said, listen, I want to move on. I'm like, hey, man, we had a good run. No problem. Mm -hmm. But guy said to me, I want to bring in this other head coach. Mm -hmm. I'd have to ask him why. Yeah. Oh, fuck. I mean, it hurts feelings, man. Like, yeah. I don't know. What the hell? <laughs> it's like, yo, I, I, I want to like uh, date you, but I'm going to br yeah. <laughs> bring another dude. Just you know, It's yeah. kind of like that kind of thing. It's like, what the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah. I get when you bring in guys or, you know, Anthony Joshua brought in two guys. Mm -hmm. to do like a technical work with him mm -hmm. but Rob McCracken was always considered the head coach right that kind of makes sense you so it was like a hierarchy and, and yeah uh, you've established the team There's separation no of responsibilities exactly yeah you can see that you know especially when it's all come together at the same time and yeah you know exactly where you stand yeah I don't think there was that clarity with the Ben Davison it's just, it's just the demotion part you know so you don't want to be demoted yeah so I think he made the right move for himself yeah sounds like it Tyson obviously made the right move looking back at the fight Absolutely. Yeah. But in terms of, I just watched the interview yesterday with Ben Davison right after the Tyson Fury Wilder fight, the second one. And, um, and I watched the interviews before, like what he's saying. And, and throughout the, his whole career, his, this whole story, Ben Davison was always very classy. Oh, yeah. Never talked shit. Yeah. And always was respectful. Um, well, Tyson Fury's made him. Yeah. You know, if not a millionaire, he's made him six figures comfortably. To well, a yeah. high, high level, and he's also, you know, Ben Davidson just started working with Josh Taylor, one of the best light welterweights in the world. That's not happening if he doesn't work with Tyson Fury. But you know how it gets, right? You get to success, and all of a sudden you're you're, you're thinking, oh shit, like I'm the shit. Now. I'm the shit, yeah, yeah. So like, oh Tyson, you know, you don't want to like train with me anymore. Like, screw this, you know. I made you who you are. You know, yeah. I I brought you back from your depression, and I made you do this whole like. Like before the second fight with Wilder, Tyson's performance was the best performance of his career. Everyone was claiming that in terms yep. of like, you know, after everything he went through. So Ben, he's like, he's a right to say like, you know, get him a credit for that. You know, gets credit. Anyways, so all I'm saying is Ben did a good job in terms of how he handled the whole story. Very classy. And thankfully, there's people like him left in the world that don't just take the first chance to throw Absolutely. daggers. And he, he handled it really well. What do you think about Tyson Fury's um, afterwards... I mean, yeah, a little celebration in the ring, a little bit of the singing and all of that. But all I'm seeing in Tyson is like he all of a sudden very <sighs> calm. You know, he's going back into his dressing room and you can see he's sort of, he has this blanked out. He's like blanked, right? I'm staring at someone. And I'm only asking you because, uh, you know, you know, like about the boxer's psychology and how you make sure that everyone stays motivated. And Tyson Fury, for example, is prone to depression and all of that. Mm -hmm. And and not to like ask you questions about Tyson Fury's psychological state, but uh, what do you think goes through boxer's mind when all of a sudden you achieve success, but you don't feel like you're succeeding? For example, not to say that Tyson is feeling this, but in in other cases, for example. Well, you hope when they've had success that they don't feel too excited because you want them to strive for more. Right, because we know Andy Ruiz's uh, story as well. Exactly. So there's that fine line, right? It's mm -hmm. it's about, and then a guy like Tyson who has his depression, anxiety, I feel like he's just learned to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, think that's what he was doing? Like he was just like, oh, okay, like, because I'm thinking, okay, Tyson, like, don't get too excited. I know what you want to do. Yeah. You want a bunch of coke, but don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the last time he had that all-time high with Klitschko, everything went downhill after that. Yes. So I feel like he's trying to keep himself more grounded this mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I also think he's not making um, that one moment his everything. Right. And he, the, the thing is, there's more things to achieve. Exactly. We have uh, Anthony Joshua with all his titles. Yep. So it's like, yeah, I mean, you got back at De Deontay. There's a bigger mountain. But there's a bigger mountain. Exactly. Like literally, it's not even, you know, you're not even inventing it. There's like money-wise, title-wise, there's a big, bigger mountain for yeah, sure. Yeah, and legacy-wise. Yes. Because I think Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in the world, but his CV actually isn't that great. He's got two solid wins, phenomenal wins, but the rest of his CV is mm -hmm. pretty limited. Mm -hmm. Whereas Joshua doesn't have the two big wins like Fury has, but his mm -hmm. CV is a lot more depth to it. Um, speaking of that, what do you think is going to put Otto Wallen on, like, l looking at his performance against Tyson, against Tyson Fury versus the Deontay Wilder, do you feel like Otto's stock got raised a little bit as yeah, well? Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, do you think he's already got a big it's fight? It's funny how business works, huh? Yeah, like, stock's going to go up. I think he's got a fight now with uh, Lucas Brown. Oh, okay, I didn't hear about that. I think so. 
or someone may have pulled out in the last week or two, but originally it was Otto Wallen versus Lucas Brown. Mm-hmm. He wins that, he's probably going to get another big fight. Mm-hmm. He, can, he can get fights with Pavekian, Dillian White, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Allen, who's not a phenomenal fighter, but he's a big name in England. All of a sudden, he's in the that, you know, uh, almost elite roaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just because of the performance he put in. Exactly. But funny enough, Teddy Atlas said before that fight, don't sleep on this guy. Teddy yeah. Atlas was very clear that this guy can fight. And you could see that uh, Tyson himself actually gave mad respect to him after yeah. the fight. He's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, like... Put in a great so, performance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great performance. He actually came to win, mm-hmm. which is why it went so well for him. Mm-hmm. Great. So for Deontay, like, what do you think now, like, how he should approach his training? Do you think there's a chance for him? What goes through his mind, for example, and what would you change uh, if you would be training Deontay Deontay, right Deontay always has a chance because of his power. power. Like, yeah. You just can't ever sleep on a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. At any moment, he could catch anybody. And he just signed the a rematch clause. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have, it. Yeah, I wouldn't have gone into it. I would have allowed them to pay him a step-aside fee just to set up Fury Joshua. Do you think that would be on the table? I think so, yeah, because top rank works with Kubra Pulev. That's Joshua's next fight. I think mm-hmm. if, if Wilder had accepted a step-aside fee, top rank could have moved Fury in. Mm-hmm. Um, the next mandatory for Joshua is, is Usyk. They could have paid him to step aside because he's with Matchroom. Everybody's got control of what's needed to be controlled mm-hmm. to have made that a possibility, but Wilder wasn't interested. What can he change in, in three months? You think it's just the... That's the thing. If there was a step aside, I can see it, but maybe there wasn't. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe Tyson was like, let's just finish this guy off. And that's a possibility. Maybe and, Tyson said no to it too. Yeah. And, and Wilder's like, okay, screw this. Um, you know, I know what I've done wrong or something. You know, I'll, I'll wear a lighter suit this time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hopefully you don't wear nothing. But then again, the we're talking about, I don't know, close to 20 mil if he's taking like 40%. I'm speculating here, but, um, you know, it's, it's still a ton of money just to take for the taking of a fight. Yeah. It's a ton of money, but. If he loses again, what does he do next? I mean, he's still going to be there, but... Um, his, his, he wasn't making big money three years ago. He's making a million dollars a fight, two million dollars a fight. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go back to that. How much do you think is enough for a boxer to make? I mean, you're getting... Let's say you have 50 million in the bank. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, when you let's let's talk about money, right? When we talk, you get 100 mil for a fight, let's say. Mm-hmm. You're giving 25 to 20% to 30% to your promoter. You're giving 20-15% to your manager, for example. You're giving another 10% to your um, trainer. And then you're paying taxes after that. Yep. And then you really are left with what? Um, I don't know, close to like maybe 30-20 mil. Yep. Uh, maybe a little bit more, but it depends. You know, it d- depends how you play it. That's how good your accountant is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about... Um, coaches um, commission on that one right the the, the 10% fee is, is that still an industry standard that's an industry standard from what I'm aware of that's the standard I work with um, I think where that becomes an issue is where when fighters start making lots of money right right like in this example for example yeah so for me because here's what I'm thinking right if a fighter let's say like he's with his coach they're getting a meal or two meal you know they're getting into that uh, elite category and getting that money and the coach gets his 100, 100k and everyone's happy yeah. and everyone feels like everyone's deserving everything but then after some some time you get into that elite level and uh, like the actual superstar and all of a sudden that 10% does not um, look very favorable in terms of like, you don't want to part with that 10% anymore yeah. as a boxer uh I mean, in some cases, right? Not not necessarily, but you know, it seems like there is a. All of a sudden, you feel like it's maybe a little bit too much, too much to yeah. give to a coach. Like that's one side of the story. Another side of the story, maybe maybe it's still fair. Like it's just the it's just the scale is up, but everything else. You know, it, I think a lot of that depends on if if I start with a fighter from day one, mm-hmm. which everyone I have right now, I pretty much have, mm-hmm. and my ten percent of their purses now is not worth talking about. Right. And for some some fights, my fighters right now are taken for free. Right now, it's can, a time it's a time investment. Exactly. Some of the fighters now don't even get paid. They're, they're purchasing their own fights to build their record. Mm-hmm. If I start with a guy like that from zero, and we go all the way up to the point that he makes ten million, mm-hmm. that ten percent is earned mm-hmm. because I've gone through from the very beginning, from the very start. I've taken every step with that guy. Why all of a sudden now do you want to do four percent, right, or three percent, or two percent? I think it could be a little bit different if we're Let's say tomorrow morning I get a call from Deontay Wilder mm-hmm. and it's, can you come in to the camp as the trainer? Mm-hmm. And he says, I'll pay you 4% mm-hmm. of 40 million, for example. Right. That makes a little bit more sense because I haven't been with them every step of the way. I haven't been through those 
those years of not making anything to get to this big payday. Right, right. So, so I shouldn't be looking at it, where's my 10%? He's probably paying me a million bucks anyways. Mm-hmm. That There's a difference there. Of course. So if it's a coach and a fighter together from the very beginning, I would I would probably favor the coach's opinion on mm-hmm. sticking to the 10%. Mm-hmm. If you're a hired contractor essentially coming in later in the career and he's just offering you a standard fee, then that's something that, yeah, you have to negotiate and, mm-hmm. and both sides have to be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. That's where I would stand on that. So like in a, every, actually every other business, it depends on the situation. On the situation, I think is, is the best way to look at it. The philosophy I have... I try and have them. I don't have it all the time. I try and mm-hmm. commit to is I try not to look at what I don't have as opposed to what I do have. Mm-hmm. So for a fighter saying, hey, this 10% looks too big now mm-hmm. for you. I'm not comfortable. Well, that must mean that his 90% is a lot bigger too. Right. So maybe don't spend so much time harping about the little 10 that you're worried about and focus more on the big 90 that you've gotten mm-hmm. and what got us there. And also as as um, as your career is progressing as a coach, you're you're gaining more uh more traction from the media more traction from the industry and you're getting more boxers you know wanting to train in your gym exactly yeah so uh, you're benefiting many ways from it too right so yeah that's another fair argument as well that the guy can say listen i've helped you make an extra two or three million a year here based off these guys have only come because of what we've done Mm -hmm. but again the coach can turn around and say well you've you've got to the point you've got because of the work you put together because i invested all this time all my personal you know time with my family and all that dedicated just to you yeah so there's there's fair arguments on both sides Mm -hmm. i would be i would be committed to the fact though if we start together that nothing should change Mm -hmm. that regardless of how big your purse gets we should both be benefiting Mm -hmm. the same way because we both started from the bottom together right um i i would be a lot more understanding if someone was brought in late Mm -hmm. and maybe have a different arrangement yeah absolutely i mean i can totally see that mm. are you following the um, the news at all the sort of not not the news news but more of like the standards of coaching like there's a lot of debate of in nutrition right now everyone has a nutritionist i mean obviously you're not in in you're not i mean nutrition is like usually a separate person right yeah but you're do you have like an opinion on that like you know how to roll back the age of a fighter by like following a certain nutrition or yeah, again, I think just like coaching a guy, everybody's different. Mm-hmm. So some people don't react the same way to certain things, right? You mm-hmm. know, there's a there's a doctor in um, in Burlington, Callum Anderson. Mm-hmm. His phenom doc is his, is his Instagram handle for anyone who wants to follow him. I think he's one of the best in the business at nutrition. A lot of UFC fighters come up to him. A lot of other sports stars come up. So to let's him. Gi- let's give them another opportunity. What's what's his Instagram? Phenom Doc. Phenom Doc. Okay. Yeah. yeah. P H E N O M D O C. And what's the doctor's name? Callum Anderson. Okay. So for example, he does a lot of testing with you to see what's good for you, what's not good for you. Does the blood test and see blood what's test, up. Yeah, spit yeah. test, everything, right? Uh, my wife, for example, is a fighter and she's always making weight. She fights at fifty-one kilos, one hundred twelve pounds. Mm-hmm. She'd always be eating egg whites because you're told for years, mm-hmm. egg whites are super healthy, mm-hmm. good way to cook food. Um, she'd have certain nuts, uh, certain vegetables, certain fruits. And mm-hmm. after his testing with her, she was told not to touch any of that because Interesting. It, it, it ruins her ability to cut weight, mm-hmm. makes her bloated, her gastric system doesn't mm-hmm. suit. Mm-hmm. So following yeah. a basic nutrition or understanding something for you maybe might not work for me. Of course. So you try everything. If you're not getting good responses, and you try and get a, an expert like that guy in, so it's always useful to have that edge, you know, to have that clinical yeah. test and and see what's what's in your blood, what you're susceptible. Because I mean, we all come from different parts of the world, and yeah. and just biologically, we've been developing by you know our ancestors eating yeah. certain nutrition, you know, more meat in one part of the world, more you know other grass or something like that. Yeah. The other word. So yeah, I I think it's a big factor, especially as these guys. I have a few fighters go to him now, and these are guys who are stepping up levels, and mm-hmm. they're really getting to the point where every percent matters. Mm-hmm. I think at the beginning, your focus should be on your technique, your skill set, mm-hmm. and then once you get to the point where, okay, now we're getting into the the, the really small details, like now mm-hmm. we have to get a top-of-the-line strength and conditioning coach who knows how to get that extra 5% out of you. Mm-hmm. I can get you to 90, and a, a really, really top-of-the-line strength and conditioning coach can get you to the 100. Mm-hmm. I can give you basic nutrition advice that gets you to 70, 80. This expert's going to bring you to 100. Did you hear this whole thing about high altitude training and how it's unfavorable if you are an older fighter? You got, you get, your body get deteriorated more quickly if you're doing that? I've heard different things. I, I think I read that same. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know enough about high altitude training other than everyone seems to think it's the, it's, it's the absolute business. I don't mm-hmm. believe in those high altitude masks. I just think mm-hmm. that just limits your ear. I don't think it's high altitude. <laughs> I think it's good, but it's not what it's actually being sold as. The high altitude? Those masks? The masks? Yeah, because yeah. I think in high altitude you actually, well, your blood, your blood gets 
thinned sort of in your whole stream. Yeah. And I'm not sure if the lack of oxygen contributes to that completely if you're wearing a mask. So I'm, I'm no. also like, of course, otherwise everyone would just be doing the mask, right? Exactly. I think the mask just makes you get... Uh, your breathing. Exactly. And it yeah. improves your ability to work off a lack of air. Yeah. And it's not, it's not giving you the same benefit as high altitude. So I always get mm-hmm. a laugh out of that when people mm-hmm. tell me they're training in a high altitude mask. Yeah. But that fact that like once you get older... Like, it's actually not beneficial for you anymore. Yeah. Because that pressure, your body cannot, like, handle. Yeah. Since when you were younger. That's what I was always wondering, like, if that's, if people are buying this or not. I think they need more studies. Yeah. I think, like, everything, everything's evolving so much. We're finding out so much more mm-hmm. information on everything right now. I think you need more old fighters to get tested as they're mm-hmm. staying up there. You mm-hmm. need them to be testing themselves at a young age, mm-hmm. you know, 30s, 40s. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how do you find out? Absolutely. Well, going back to Wilder Joshua, though, what do you think? What's going to happen, like in terms of, like, let's say they're fighting right now? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I said Wilder Joshua. I, uh, I meant Tyson Fury Joshua. Tyson right now, Fury I'm not, Joshua. Not per se worried about Wilder right now. I think Joshua gives Fury a better f- fight. Mm-hmm. I think Joshua has more assets to him. He's a better mid-range fighter. He's a better mm-hmm. short-range fighter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Wilder has more of a danger with that one punch. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think if that Joshua can't stop Fury in six, that Fury wins on point or stops him late. Mm-hmm. But I think in the first six, I'd be fight at two halves. Mm-hmm. I think the first six rounds are super interesting. Do you think Joshua is going to perform differently than how he was performing against um, Andy Ruiz, where he was more elusive, he was boxing? Yeah, I don't think he can do that with, with, with Fury. I think maybe you, you might mix that in in pockets where you come and you do your work, you take a walk, mm-hmm. you take an educated walk, mm-hmm. kind of like he was with Ruiz, but he has to be more engaged with Fury because mm-hmm. Fury would be the better boxer at distance. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be a great fight. It'd be a phenomenal fight. I'd, I'd pay anything to watch that. Do you see this fight happening in 2020? No, probably 2021. Um, depends on what happens with Fury Wilder. If Fury mm-hmm. can smash Wilder again, um, Joshua gets through Pulev, no problems. Yeah, mm-hmm. then maybe November, December, possible. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely for next year. I hope mm-hmm. I'm wrong. I hope it happens this year. Yeah, we all do as boxing fans. I mean, it's mm-hmm. always great to have these blockbuster fi- fights of you course. Know, in, in one year. But yeah. Tell me about your current uh, state of boxing, where where you are right now. What's, uh, who are your talent? Talent. So I've got a good stable right now. Everyone's either... Um, just started off or at the point where they're about to get a breakthrough mm-hmm. so i'll just go through the next people who are fighting i've just gone through a bunch of pro fights mm-hmm. may 2nd i'll have a guy ryan rizicki he's 12 and 0 12 ko's uh he's the wbc international silver champ i think the mm-hmm. wbc have him rated at 18th in the world mm-hmm. uh big puncher solid chin and the scary thing is he's developing um for a long time where he was in cape breton he didn't have access to a lot of coaches mm-hmm. so he just hit the bag man he hit the bag hard for like four or five years that's great yeah and he's been up here for a while now and he's a great guy to work with um mm-hmm. obsessed with boxing obsessed and he's very self-aware he knows what he is and he knows what he needs to develop to make his skill set better so i'm really hoping in the next uh two or three years that he's a worldwide name mm-hmm. um on that same night i'll have a female fighting carolyn redmond she's three and zero with two ko's she had about 75 amateur fights. She just turned pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the females, it's super interesting because they can go from 7, 8, 9, and 0. And next thing you know, they're in a, they're, they're a massive fight. So tell me more about females. What do you think about the state of boxing for females? We just discussed with uh, Yvette Raposo the, the fight between Clarissa Shields and, and potentially Leila Ali, even though it's just a speculative thing and it's more of like a on the promotion side. But as uh, as Layla said, I'm not going to do this for less than a mil or, or five millions or something like that. Do you think it's possible for female fighting to achieve such success where they're getting paid elite versus? I think you'll have a small section of females making that. Mm-hmm. Like right now, Katie Taylor just confirmed she's fighting Amanda she's Serrano. Fight, yeah. I think that type of fight is going to generate that money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Clarissa has the ability to generate that money, but I don't think her PR work is, is allowing mm-hmm. her to make that type of money. I think she's too committed to sticking to her mm-hmm. beliefs which sometimes can't make you the money you want to make right so what do you mean by that is she just being an asshole is that what you're saying uh, she can be very outspoken and very mm-hmm. controversial sometimes for the sake of being controversial right mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to if she was a little cuter about how she spoke she might have more right. more uh, backing and that's kind of the problem here is that i'm thinking about fighters like let's say Gervonta davis adrian broner Mm. Same same thing in terms of attitude. It's it's very outspoken, very arrogant. Like, but because we don't have enough females in boxing, we're sort of putting all of our enhancement glass, you know, on yeah. on just one, and that's where we sort of like look at it and and like we only have this 
bad girl you know she's like yeah. all very aggressive but we don't have anyone else so like we're judging her just based on the fact that there's no other females you know, females that are being promoted on her level you know and that's i don't know i feel like clarice is getting a lot of sl- uh, flack for that that she's uh you know some somehow very arrogant but i feel like she is uh she's who he is it's just there's no one around her and, and no one there's no other female fighters that are there's a lot of female fighters but they're not a lot that are promoted on that level you know well, by showtime and whatever. well i think that's why she needs leila ali yeah i think that'd be she great she needs fight. her um how do you say it in english who's your like not opponent but uh, the word slips me like in the in the myth mythological like yeah yeah you you need uh, like tyson had holyfield tyson had lewis exactly uh, ali had frazier i can't believe that word slips in here yeah uh anyways yeah she needs her ante something something like that. anyway so she needs an enemy yeah you know exactly and who other people needs to root for you know she's not per se like a, we don't know who is the bad person here but also leila ali has you know an enormous Following. Uh, following and and the reputation and and just basically based on the fact that your father is a legend as yeah. well i mean it's a crossover fight it crosses over from boxing fans into the mainstream public exactly and yeah. that's where i mean it sounds uh not very humble but that's where the money is when of course. it when it and when it crosses into mainstream that's where you make business yeah that's what they're there for and that's why i'm very excited about this and i hope Layla is excited about it as well but i also understand her position is that okay i mean she's over 40 it's yeah. not like she she wasn't planning on going back to boxing um but i can see like why she needs this kind of money because it, it requires a lot of training it requires a lot of investment in the team and all and she's doing her own projects which you know will probably take time from her of course and if she loses her value goes down yeah so she needs to make sure she makes it on this end first just mm-hmm. in case she loses she doesn't want to lose her value after this fight right Exactly. So I, I completely understand her asking for this kind of money. Mm-hmm. And so do you see female boxing actually training more, uh, gaining more traction um, in the future? Because you're, you're training females right now. Yeah, I think so. Like even in Eddie Hearn has a, fee, a card coming up soon where I think he has three females on the card. They'll be televised. Mm-hmm. He's doing a good job for female boxing. Um, I think Golden Boy are doing a great job for female boxing. I think I don't think maybe they'll get to the heights of men where they're making these million dollar paydays regularly, but at least they'll get to the point where they're making six figure paydays. Right. Which, you know, there was world title fights five years ago where women were getting paid five thousand dollars. Can you imagine a male mm-hmm. getting paid five thousand dollars for a world title fight? That just wouldn't happen. Nobody would accept it. So maybe it doesn't get to the seven-figure type style on a regular basis, but I'm hoping that they'll consistently be getting paid at least six figures for their fights. What do you think about two-minute rounds? I hate it. Me too. I hate it. I, I feel like it. that's why we don't get the knockouts. That of course, because right as right at they're starting to break someone, the, yeah. the bell goes. Do you think they're going to change it? Uh, I talked a lot to an official from the WBC, and he mm-hmm. says they're violently against it. Against the, the what? Three minutes. Oh, they okay. do not for want safety concerns. Safety right. concerns. They feel like they've done their studies about mm-hmm. uh, water on the brain for females, and uh, mm-hmm. he, was, he was quoting me a lot of stuff. But he said they'll never change, and I'm mm-hmm. like, Are you sure? He goes, they're they're very against it, and mm-hmm. I think if you have that one organization that won't, mm-hmm. of course, I mean the WBC is a stable. It's, it's pretty big, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what you need is the WBA, the WBO, and the IBF to band together and say we're only doing three minutes, mm-hmm. which maybe put pressure. Right, but other than everyone taking a stand outside of them, I don't know how it changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about the crossovers? Like, I know that Chris Cyborg was for some time was sort of toying with the idea of fighting Cecilia Breakers. Like, Chris Cyborg is the UFC yeah, fighter yeah. going into boxing with Cecilia. I think since then Chris had several defeats, and that talk was over for now. Uh, but but overall. Do you see? Do you see this as a good idea? Of I know, for example, Clarissa wants to go to UFC to make more money there. Well, that's it exactly. If a UFC, okay, let's be clear. If a UFC fighter goes into boxing, they lose. Yeah. If a boxer goes to UFC, there's a chance, but also it's a small d- chance. Depends. Depends. I mean, if you're a choker, then yeah, probably not. But if I remember Tyson back in the day went into something like that and he just knocked the guy out after he was like. So that was like a one-punch kind of situation. But overall, what do you think about this whole dynamics? I mean, started by McGregor and, and Mayweather. I, I think they're just looking for a way to make as much money as they can. Mm-hmm. And you have to respect that, especially for the females when they feel like they're being shorted financially. Mm-hmm. They can have a crossover fight. They might make five, six, seven times their biggest payday. Mm-hmm. How can you dispute someone wanting to make as much money as possible in this sport? So you're not a boxing purist where you're like, don't go into boxing, you know, uh, McGregor, stay out of it. 
No, I'm a guy who wants people who are putting their lives in the line to make as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm a purist in that sense. I think anybody who says, don't do this, don't do that, mm-hmm. is not looking at it from the standpoint of the fighter who's taken all these risks mm-hmm. with their life, right. with their future, with their health, with their you know, potential issues after their career. You're not looking at it from his point of view. He has an opportunity to make 10 times his, his best okay, payday. In terms of the female boxing and, and, and people transitioning to UFC from, from boxing in general, it's, it's more about... Making it, money. It's, it's more about making money and you're completely understanding it. Yeah, yeah. Because I understand the pressure and the, the sacrifice these guys are making. So I'm a boxing guy, mm-hmm. but I'm also, you want to make money. You know, if we're talking about that, what do you think about boxing press? A lot of people don't like you know, boxing journalists for exactly the way they portray certain situations. Uh, like everything in life, there's really good ones, there's really bad ones. I don't think in general you can peg them all It's the same. I think there's some mm-hmm. really good boxing people out there, mm-hmm. really good reporters. There's certain guys I always go to. Who do you go to? I go to the guys IFL mm-hmm. in, in England. Mm-hmm. I like those guys. They, they do fair, nothing pushing one way or the other. They're very mm-hmm. fair to everybody. They mm-hmm. give everybody a good chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Steve Kim at ESPN. Love Steve Kim. Yeah, not Great a, guy. Yeah, I'm not a massive Dan Raphael fan. Yeah, I'm not um, against him. I'm just not a massive fan of him. I go to Steve Kim whenever I'm looking for a, same. Same for me. He's like an, an acid test for for everything that's happening. Exactly. Um, those would be the two guys I go to the most if I'm looking for actual information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, he'll actually probably retweet this uh, this podcast because oh. he usually retweets my stuff. So I really appreciate that. Perfect. Again, he's happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got to know him personally, and uh, he's a fun guy. I wish I could like actually like go to Vegas and party with him, but. Because he sounds, he sounds very funny. He's very good at his job. <laughs> and he's very good at his job. And I like his writing. And I like that he is very, like, he knows that he's a professional. Yep. And he knows that he's better than, um, at, he's, he's very good at what he does. Yeah. And that's why he has this confidence when he actually approaches boxers or the boxing team with his questions. So he's not, like, beating around the bush. He can ask, he, he can ask you know, the right questions. And I like that. Yeah. And people are, people, I think, trust him. Yes. Yes. Which is a big thing for boxers and with the boxers. He's been around for a while. So yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So talk to me about your upcoming, uh, just like, let's go on the, continue the list of uh, people Fighters. that you work with. Yeah. Yeah. So those two are on that night, Riziki and Carolyn Redmond. Possibly on the same night, I'll have Brandon Brewer. He's a, mm-hmm. as a middleweight, possibly super middleweight from out east as well. He's 24, mm-hmm. one and one. Mm-hmm. He may or may not fight that night depending on what we get him going. And uh, he's going to do his own show in June. Mm-hmm. So if that's late June, he'll fight start of May. May 9th then... Um, yeah, there's we, a United Promotions, right? On May, 9th. May 9th. Yeah, yeah. So May 9th, uh, Josh O'Reilly will be on that night. Mm-hmm. And they haven't announced his opponent yet, so I'm not going to spoil it for them. I'll okay. let, them, let them have their moment. For sure. But he's going to defend his North American title. Right now, Josh is number seven in the world with the WBA. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping if he wins this, he'll squeeze into the top five and we can push for... There's certain fights we want. There's certain fights we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gotten a lot of big offers in the last year, but nothing we were happy with. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping after he smashes through his opponent May 9th that we can uh, push on for something. Uh, same night at Brock Stump. Brock Stump mm-hmm. is 4-0, cruiserweight, 4 KOs. Great fighter. I actually watched him fight live, and I'm growing to be a good, like a fan of his. Yeah, it's very hard to watch him fight and not be a fan. Mm-hmm. He's very exciting. Performance-wise, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't do boring. Mm-hmm. And I've been with Brock since the beginning. We we brought him through from um, amateur level where he became provincial champ, national champ, boxer mm-hmm. the national team, turned pro. So me and Brock have a almost 10-year relationship now. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really excited for what we can get done in the future. I know we wanted to get him a Canadian title fight. Mm-hmm. I think we're having a hard time getting any Canadian to go in the ring with him. Of course. Understandable. <laughs> Understandable, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough night. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we might have to go another avenue, but it just means we'll we'll be pushing for bigger opportunities faster that mm-hmm. I think he can handle. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be going to a North American international level um, probably pretty soon with Brock because mm-hmm. we can't hang around for fights at this level if, if no one's willing to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it'd be nice to win a Canadian title, I'd like to have a guy who won it as an amateur and a pro. It just might not be possible. And then the following week, uh, we have Lucas Body, who I was just in Mexico with. Mm-hmm. He's going to have his 10th pro fight. It'll be a year almost to the day he turned pro. Mm-hmm. Going to main event his own show in Niagara Falls, and I'm really excited for that. It looks like we're going to fight for a North American title at 135 as well. So I'll have two cruiserweights who are potentially going to be doing well. I have two lightweights who are doing well. Uh, we're just finalizing the opponent for him. If we confirm who we have, I think it's a really big statement by Lucas to take on this level of opponent mm-hmm. one year into his pro career and we'll get him ranked top 10 top 15 in the world so I'm excited for that 
That's awesome, man. So, yeah. Sounds like you you have a lot of things going on. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of stuff going on quietly in the background that we're still working on with different yeah. people. Yeah. Um, not to announce yet. And then I've I have a lot of amateurs. I have an amateur fight tonight with one of my one of my amateurs. Oh, okay. Here in Toronto? Uh in St. Catharines. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll give him a shout at St. Catharines Boxing Club. We're on um, great shows every year, so we're ever cool, helping cool. out with those guys. Yeah. Well, Stevie, uh, thanks so much for coming to my podcast. No problem. And it's really a, a great honor. As I said to you before, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say it in life. Like I'm willing to, I'm inviting people who I believe to be future legends. I appreciate and that. And I believe you to be a future legend. And uh, I'm just honored that you're here and talking to me. I appreciate so thank that. Thank you so much, sir. Th- thank you. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. It's Easy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, Twitter, Spotify, and YouTube. Bye, everyone. <laughs>